The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Right now, we wanted to examine an issue that has been mentioned a few times, it's fair to say, over the last few days, both in Boston and here in New York as well. And it's the proliferation of fentanyl. Uh, Christopher Brooker is with me in our studio here. He is special correspondent with PBS NewsHour and WNET in New York City. He's been working on a documentary called A Year of Harm Reduction. And Sarah Evans is with me as well, Division Director of Drug Policies with the Open Society Foundations. Folks, you're both welcome. And thanks a million for taking the time uh, to come into us here. Uh, Christopher, uh, bear with me now when I ask this question. What is fentanyl? So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that has been around for some time, really since the late 70s. Um, and it's a, for the most basic explanation, it's a kind of extreme painkiller. It's used by doctors when pain is acute or for surgeries. But it really entered the drug supply as we know it heavily in 2015, 2016. And it's been devastating. So what happened in 2015, 16 that it's... There's a number of factors, and when you speak to researchers and experts, they trace it to a number of different things. Uh, One major contributor was the, as the doctors started to prescribe fewer uh, opioid pain pills in response to the ongoing opioid epidemic in the United States, fentanyl started to fill in the marketplace. So it's, it's a dual story of America's drug problem coupled with American capitalism. It's a cheap synthetic that can be put into any number of substances and arguably um, increases the economic return for drug dealers. So uh, a, a lot of people listening to this at home would be familiar with um, oxytocin, oxycontin. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what the, 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 the name in Europe and the States is different for the same product. And we spoke to Patrick Radden Keefe last year who wrote Empire of Pain mm-hmm. and people would have watched Dope Sick on Disney. Yeah. So that's maybe the prism through which they're trying to understand this. I mean, is, is it similar? Is this something that was kind of prescribed, people get hooked, and then they go to the street looking for it? Is this something different? No. So I think the best way to describe fentanyl is it's in everything. It's not one single thing. There are people that do use it as a single substance, but it is in almost all of the drugs. It is in counterfeit pills. It is in methamphetamines. It is in cocaine. It is in MDMA. So it's petrifying. I mean, you can basically be a one-time user that does a single snort of cocaine and not know that there's fentanyl in there, and you will have taken a lethal dose. You can be a long-time heroin user where not knowing that there's fentanyl in that heroin shot that you're taking, and it could be a lethal dose. It's in so much of the American drugs. And why put it into the drug? It's very effective. It's very, it, the high is higher. It, okay. It's a shorter high. So again, from a market's perspective, if you're a dealer, you're selling more of it and your clientele, for lack of a better term, are getting an increased high. And you can also fill it in with fillers. So you can have essentially a knockoff uh, Percocet, if you will, and you can have it with fentanyl and you can have it with baking powder. And you'll still, the person will get a high, but they won't know exactly what, what it is. They'll think it's a Percocet. They'll think it's a Xanax that they swiped or bought mm. from someone. And they'll get high from it, but they just don't know the true dangers of it. And when you talk about people taking a, le- a lethal dose, how many people is that? How it, many people? Stunning. So between October 2020 and October 2021, 105,000 Americans died of an overdose, of which the CDC says 64% were connected to fentanyl. Now, to put this in perspective... In 1999, that's an increase of 781% in overdose rate. It's, it's, it's unlike, you, you talk to people, and I'm sure Sarah can speak to this, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. I, I mean, 
when, when, when you look at it from, from a, through, through the prism of business, the idea that dealers or suppliers would be cutting it into cocaine or anything else, knowing that it's going to kill some people. Uh, I mean, the, the, the quality of the high, if we'll describe it that way, and I don't want to sound like I'm selling the thing, but the quality of the high uh, you know, must be absolutely incredible that they, they accept that kind of that death rate, well, and yet they'll still continue to sell it, even ever-increasing rates. I think that's an unknowable. I think it's unknowable because you know, these are folks that are, I, I think, operating under a different moral compass with their economies. But also it's an unknowable because it's about distribution. Because it's a powder and it's a synthetic, you can pack it into things yeah. that are easy, uh, easy to pass through customs and detection. So ultimately it's about getting it into a market that is, has had a voracious appetite for decades. You know, the United States consumes so much drugs. And that's where what the work that Sarah does is so interesting because it's about changing the paradigm that's existed for decades as it relates to drug use in the U.S. So, Sarah, what is that work, then, that you're doing? Harm reduction, basically. Um, so that is about accepting that people are going to use drugs and believing that they shouldn't die because they do that. Like, why are people dying? That's the fundamental question, I think whether it's fentanyl or something else, why are people dying? People are dying because we've told them that the fact that they use drugs makes them a morally unworthy person. There's stigma, there's shame, so they're hiding. It's also, um, you know, there's legal issues, so they're, they're hiding from their families and they're hiding from the police. And in that context, people are using drugs alone um, and they're using drugs quickly and in unsafe ways. They're not necessarily knowing what they're using. Um, and that is contributing to the overdose death rate. So this is, this is really interesting because it mirrors a, a conversation that we're having in Ireland around harm reduction. I and know. there's been plans in place for supervised injection centre. And understandably, you know, it, it gets kind of bogged down in local opposition. And I know in the context of those conversations, we often mention places like Insight in Vancouver. You, you, you work there, is that right? Yes, that's right. And so it, it, do facilities like that exist in New York? Yes, there are two okay. um, that have opened up just in the past year and a bit. Um, they're both run by an organization called On Point. Also, by the way, congratulations. I think that the Irish site is going to really save a lot of lives. Um, and as the ones here do, as the one in Vancouver that I used to run. Um, what they do is they kind of, like we were saying before, just turn the paradigm around where somebody is using drugs, they are allowed to walk into a place, be treated with dignity, be treated with respect, have somebody just ask them, what do you need today? Um, and ensure that if they're going to use drugs, they do it safely um, and without the risk of fatal overdose. And to what extent is that view, the view you espouse there, the majority view of people, the majority view of policymakers? Well, actually, recent polling in the U.S. shows that most people do support overdose prevention centers, as we call them here, because they understand that the death rate is intolerable. Like, how can we... It's one person every five minutes. Like, how is that okay, right? We need to do something differently than we have been doing, and we need to do it quickly. And one of the things we can do is just simply offer people a safe place to use drugs. Then when they've done that, we can link them to care, right? So from that place, you have a respectful relationship with somebody. You've stopped telling them that they're shameful and they need to hide. You know, and then we can link them to medical care. We can link them to addictions treatment care. We can get them into housing um, and start helping them turn their lives around. And Chris, to, when I talk about policymakers, I mean, how high up is this on the, the national agenda, for example? 
Well, interestingly enough, President Joe Biden was the first president ever to use the term harm reduction in his public address. It had never been used before. I mean, harm reduction as a tactic has been in place for decades and actually can be traced back to the UK and to Manchester and to um, uh, north of England, where in the HIV AIDS days, looking at the transmission of HIV amongst intravenous drug users, there was some pretty radical changes in the way that that community was approached. And there are folks here that have been working on the ground for decades in that. And so much of the knowledge of harm reduction was born out of HIV AIDS epidemic here in New York. And I'm, so much now gets consumed by the culture wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, has that happened with fentanyl and the debate around harm reduction? Oh, God, you're both nodding. This is so dispiriting. <laughs> uh, anyway, Chris. Well, well, I will say it is dispiriting. I mean, we in America have an uncanny ability to politicize everything. Mm. Um, but just as proof positive, the quantitative is very difficult to argue against. So this safe injection site in Harlem, one of two, they have resuscitated, for lack of a better term, 900 people in the last year. That is three times what they had anticipated. So the, the success is it's very hard to argue against, coupled with the real tragedy that's ha- unfolding here in New York City and across the country. Five years ago in New York, one person died every eight hours from an overdose. Now it's one, every, one person every three. So it's it's you, we can't ignore what's happening. So, but say when when policymakers are talking heads who are engaged in kind of in culture war rhetoric, when, when they oppose this and they're presented with a, a statistic like that, listen, nine hundred people resuscitated. They do that down an alley or on the stairs down to the subway or wherever it happens to be. They're not getting resuscitated. They're dead. What what's the response? Well. Uh I think that if people are going to engage in culture wars over this issue, then they're just going to do that, right? Um, and there's not very much... I'm not actually that interested in debating, you know, with that kind of a person because it it's not... It doesn't matter what they like, say. It doesn't really matter what yeah, I say, okay. right? But the truth is, um, on a couple of levels... Um, there are important things for people to know. One of them is that there's bags and bags of evidence. Like, these sites have existed around the world for 30 years. And there's over 200 of them now in several countries, mostly in Europe, Canada. There's one coming on in Ireland soon. Um, There's some coming in uh, in Colombia, the country of Colombia, in a couple of months. Um, There's some in Mexico. So anyways, they've been around for 30 Mm. years. They've been studied extensively. There's analyses and meta-analyses of them. And the evidence is really clear that not one person has ever died in these sites. So that alone, like, to me, should stop the debate, right? Like, they work because not one person has died. But then there's also all these other um, factors, right? They help people access care. You know, they help people get into treatment. They help people get off drugs when they're ready. They, you know, they, they, um, they do not increase crime or create havoc in the neighborhoods. In fact, they lead to, you know, um, uh, uh, cleaner neighborhoods with less drug paraphernalia. So basically, there's a ton of evidence. And then if people don't want to listen to the evidence, there's just another moral argument, I think, which mm. is one person every five minutes is just morally unacceptable. Yeah. Why are people dying? They're dying, yes, fentanyl is killing them, but they're dying because of the context in which the drug use is happening, and that's a context that we've worked really hard to create um, uh, by criminalizing and penalizing drugs. And uh, what then, Chris, is the discussion that has been had or the debate around law enforcement and police and how, how they 
deal with the kind of the, it, it's even just the basics of the surrounding areas of the injection centres. Again, this is kind of something that's you know talked about in Ireland. That do, do, do you officially legislate for it? Do you have a turn a blind eye approach? <laughs> What's the approach here? You know, it, it won't come as a surprise that it's complicated. Yeah. So police officers in general will carry Narcan. Uh, you know, in the United States, as I'm sure it's uh, that way in Ireland, we ask a lot of them to basically be enforcer as well as social worker. Uh, and as far as a state, these are the two, I mean, the sanctioned, unsanctioned? They're, they're kind of sanctioned under- by the city. By the so, city. So, yeah, but which just means that the mayor, the previous mayor and the current mayor have said, we want this to happen. Yeah. Okay. But there's a wrinkle because in, as part of this, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, as part of this massive opioid settlement, this $54 billion dollars, Right now, none of that money has gone to these injection sites. It needs to, right? Um, but what needs to happen is some clarity from the federal gov- government level, right? Yeah. Cities and states around the country want to do this. I'm in constant conversation. You know, they, they had debates just earlier this week in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. There's debates in Maryland. You know, anyways, just cities and states around the country want to do this because they want to save lives, and we need some clarification from the federal government yeah. that they're not going to... Um, prosecute people. And how hopeful are you that you're on the journey that will inevitably lead to that point? Very. It's going to happen. It has to, because the truth is on our side. I mean, it's very much the kind of classic U.S. The cities and states are incubators of ideas, and eventually we do get a, to a critical mass. I mean, I will say just in, in that one of the things, though, there's the existence of these fentanyl test strips. And I think for anyone listening, it's just so important to, to understand that we, here in the United States, and I suspect it's true in Ireland, you don't know what's in what you're taking. No. You yeah. know, we have story after story of the classic user, but the, the kid who takes a, a Xanax for the first time and overdoses. Uh, it's just, I mean, if there's any takeaway from what we said today, it's that. Yeah, I think that's a public health announcement. Yeah. For your, don't yeah. use drugs alone. If yep. you're going to use drugs, use a fentanyl test strip and have naloxone with you. Naloxone. Is there any conversation here around this state, be that kind of the, the, the state and the federal level or this state, being the drug supplier? I remember being in a, a kind of an injection center, a couple of them around yes. Rotterdam, and one of them was a pilot project whereby the state was providing the drugs for yeah. them. Very successful projects around the world on that topic as well. In the city of Vancouver, where I um, have worked, previously worked for 20 years, fentanyl is prescribed to people yeah. for, for this purpose because it's better for people to um, not be using illicit street drugs. Mm. It helps people stabilize their lives. It gets people um, uh, into care um, and uh, um, allows them to know what the dose is so they're not going to have an overdose. Well, listen, it's been really interesting speaking to both of you, and thanks a million for coming into us uh, here in our uh, New York studios, if I'll describe it that way. Christopher Booker is a special correspondent with PBS NewsHour and WNET in New York City, and he's working on a documentary called A Year of Harm Reduction. Sarah Evans, I know it's all about harm reduction, Division Director of Drug Policies with the Open Society Foundations. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.